Today, we have the chance to talk with Dave Lukeman, who is our, our guy with Plant With Purpose. Um, let's cue his, uh, his slides and let's show him first. Make sure everybody can see his picture and see him. Hey, you want, everybody. You wanna, there you go. Thank you. Uh, um, Dave is here to update us on Plant With Purpose. And so Dave, welcome. Um, it's great to see you. It's great to have you with us. Uh, it's been great talking to you and getting ready for this and catching up. And I'm excited for you to bring the news uh, Plant With Purpose to uh, all of us at Bay and Wren. The, the first question I want to ask you, and we'll sort of play some of these slides through in the background and let, let Dave answer this. How, how, is, how is Plant With Purpose coping uh, with COVID-19 in the U.S. and in-country with your 10 countries? How, how's the staff doing? Yeah, well, um, first of all, thanks for having me. It is, uh, it is a pleasure to be with you this morning. This is my, my first Zoom church meeting. Uh, so you are number one in many ways in my book. So it's just a pleasure being with you. Uh, Plant with Purpose, um, we are in eight countries and uh, we work with subsistence farmers all around the world, teaching them sustainable farming techniques uh, through a three-part holistic approach of economic empowerment, spiritual renewal, uh, and um, uh, environmental restoration. So um, how we're doing overall, we, it's, uh, it's really been wonderful to watch the team come together. We're in North America. We've got about 20 staff, um, mainly based out of San Diego. I'm the regional representative here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, we're doing wonderfully. And I'm happy to report that in the eight countries in which we operate, uh, there have been no reported cases of, uh, of coronavirus in any of the communities in which we work or any of our staff. And there's about 230 staff worldwide. So at this point, uh, very happy to report that, uh, that there's been no cases. Um, the exciting thing about Plant With Purpose is that we have wonderful networks in each of the countries uh, that we that we work in so communication has been very good between our our staff and the communities staff no longer goes into the communities like they used to just to you know limit the potential spread of the virus uh, we have sustainable development groups that you see there which are groups of 25 to 30 people they're not meeting anymore they usually meet weekly or monthly uh, so they're trying to figure out ways in which to uh, stay in communication, but uh, what I love about what we do is is working with our partner farmers and, and teaching them uh, different techniques and farming techniques and taking care of their environment. These sustainable development groups, you know, there's about 1,500 worldwide and usually one or two in a community. They have really helped strengthen the community to make the community better prepared for what uh, could happen should the virus hit their particular community. So uh, many years of training, uh, communication, leadership skills. So uh, they're as best prepared as they can be should something happen. Um, the, uh, a lot of our group members, and we work with 40,000 farmers around the world, 
in these groups, there's a savings group and many of them have two months worth of, of savings set aside. And so they have ready access to cash, which is very unique in the developing world. So they're set up pretty well that way. And they've been taught to grow a very diverse um, uh, crop. So they, they have a lot of food to choose from on their farm to help their sustain their families that way. Well, that's great. How about um, if you take a few minutes and catch us up on Mexico? That's sure. probably the vector that most of us at, uh, at Baymarin connect with, plant with purpose. Yeah, so, uh, so Mexico, um, we've been in Mexico for over 20 years now and partnering with, with Baymarin in a community called Trementina for the past five or six years ago, five or six years or so. Uh, the chart that you see there is just the, the growth in Mexico from 2015, which mirrors the partnership with Baymarin. And if you look at that, the upper right there, that's, that's kind of where we are as of um, the middle of our fisc fiscal year. So tree planting is one of the key things that we teach our farmers to do. And you can see we're approaching 900,000 trees in Mexico since we began there. Those STGs, the Sustainable Development Groups, there's 124 of those now. Um, not much growth since uh, the last year. However, we're starting to graduate groups, which means they've been with us long enough that they are fully self-sustaining. So while it's only up by two from one year to the next, there's been some groups that have graduated. And so um, the, the actual growth in new groups is probably like eight or so from the previous year. Um, 2,500 families. And then uh, what I'm really excited about over the past five years, our church partnerships have doubled in that time. Uh, Mexico in particular, in addressing COVID-19, we have a, a nurse on staff, Elvira, and she's been working with our communities uh, in Mexico. If you want to go to the next slide. And they, uh, she's been talking to them about what their needs are and then working with the local um, medical clinics to make sure that uh, those clinics are prepared to, to work with our community. So again, our great network that we have, it's really been effective in um, uh, just preparing for the virus. So, um, and this is just a picture of Noe, who's one of our agronomists on staff. and and to give you a, a kind of a nutshell of how Plant With Purpose operates, I'm gonna read his quote. Plant With Purpose diagnoses the land, the ability of the people, the water, the climate, and the level of commitment. We don't give handouts, so we require long-term partnership, a co-investment. The process of discovering each farmer's gifts is a task that falls on our promoters. So. That's what we're all about, is training people and educating them. And, and I think it's really, um, again, it's setting them up well for what they may encounter uh, should the virus hit their communities. So this is just a picture to, to give you an idea of uh, where we are in Mexico. We're in the, the two most Southern states, Oaxaca and Chiapas which is that lower left box. And then the enlarged picture is of Oaxaca. Um, the, the green outline there is the Peñolas watershed and the, uh, the other color, the fuchsia color is the Mixteca Alta watershed. 
Uh, and a watershed is nothing more than a collection of smaller water sources that flow into a larger one. And then if you look on the map, that lower kind of center area there, there's a red circle around a green dot. And that is Trementina, uh, where Bay Marin has, has been supporting us. So that just kind of gives you an overview of, of uh, where we're at in Mexico. Cool. Yeah, and then lastly, this is uh, Alier, one of our uh, one of our partner farmers in Mexico. And I, I wanted to include this because I know there could be a lot of fear uh, with everything that's going on these days. But um, uh, Alier has a great perspective on things, just saying God created nature complete. We are stewards of his work. God gave us these things. Let's take care of them. If we take care of our land. Our security will be there. We have water. We have land. We have plants and seeds and food to eat. Nothing scares me. So uh, I think that's a great summary of the perspective that a lot of our farmers have, that they are prepared. And, uh, and we're just glad that they are is in as good a position as they are. Dave, thanks. The, the last question that would be interesting is to tell us what Plant with Purpose is doing um, more generally with the COVID challenge. Yeah. We've got an initiative right now that um, is important for all your communities. And I think there's a slide popping up for us. There we go. Exactly, exactly. So, um, so what we've done is we've created that the Readiness and Response Fund uh, so we, we have a goal of raising $400,000 in this fund and what it will be used for is responding to the specific needs that we hear from our partners around the world. So uh, again, Plant With Purpose isn't about telling our partners what to do. It's about hearing from them, letting them make their decisions. And so to that end, we're, we're working closely with our country directors and waiting to hear from them what it is that they need from us. And so the idea is while we're waiting for, uh, for the, those requests to come in, we're going to start raising money here in the States so that we can respond to them quick, quicker that way. And, and just you can see the three levels that we're, that we're looking at. Readiness is just where we are today. Uh, and the best thing that we can do in the States is just provide as much reliable information to our partners as possible. That's probably the one advantage that we have over them is we have access to a lot of information. And then levels two and three are just as the, as the, the virus starts spreading to the, through the communities. We hope it doesn't, uh, but we'll be ready to respond to what it, whatever it is their need may be and then the final step is the recovery once the viruses move through and being able to support them that way so um uh it's just a classic plant with purpose response of you tell us partners what you need and we'll be there to help you so um there's more information about that on our website if you're interested in checking it out but um uh we're really you know thankful that we have such great partnerships with our, our country directors and the trust that we've built up with each other over the years. It's very easy to work with each other. Dave, thanks so much. Uh, it's so exciting to hear that uh, you're 
as an organization plant with purpose is is getting in front of this as much as possible for your communities and it's great news that so far the communities seem um, lightly touched if at all and that's um, that's great news um, please give our love and encouragement to your team um, that are doing the work in the field and uh, holding down the fort in the U.S., in San Diego, and other places. It's a great encouragement to us to partner with you and to hear all the good stuff that's happening. Yeah, well, we've been blessed by your partnership. Um, I, I love Bay Marie, and I wish I could be up there with you guys right now. And I look forward to uh, our next meeting face-to-face, -face, uh, being with each other and being able to give hugs and shake hands. But uh, this, as... This is as good as it gets in terms of being together. So it's been great being with you this morning. Thank you, Kevin, and thank you, Bay Marin. Amen to that. Thank you. Let's um, let's turn now and spend a moment on our offering. It's kind of a funny thing to do because we can't pass a plate uh, or a basket. Uh, but we'd like to take a moment in our regular service, our order of worship, to uh, call out our giving and our offerings. We're in the midst of some unprecedented times, as we all are experiencing, and we're so thankful for each of you that are continuing to resource the ministries and partnerships of Bay Marin. To financially contribute, you can make your donations online. You don't need to be in person to do that, obviously, or by sending a check to our PO box. Um, we'll make sure those are up in the chat box now. And they're also um, both the online giving and the correct address are in our website, bamerin.org. Um, so, Giving is an act of faith, and we know that, and we know that God is blessed when we take these step, steps of faith. We want to remain sensitive to the strain that many of us are feeling um, financially and in other ways right now, and, and we know that this is a season of stretching and growing in our faith. I also want to say thank you, um, a deep thank you to those of you who are able and choose to give to us now. Um, Bay Marin is uh, using those tithes and gifts uh, to support partnerships like we just heard about and have heard about over the last couple of weeks uh, and to support our ongoing operations. So let me take a moment now uh, and invite you to pray with me. I'll pray out loud for us, uh, and please join me. Lord God, we thank you for the work um, that you keep doing with Bay Marin and the work that you keep doing with our ministry partners. We thank, we thank you for the staff of our organizations that uh, lead that work, and lead us. We thank you for these gifts, and we thank you uh, that you help us to use them the best way for your kingdom here on earth. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, hey.
Yeah. Again, I just I want to throw in a personal thank you to Dave for sharing with us. And um, I love the work you're doing. Uh, Arbor Day was a couple of days ago. I didn't plant a tree, but my family and I made our way to Home Depot along with a bunch of other masked individuals and um, just uh, doing our part, taking care of things around here. But uh, it was good to hear uh, such positive things going on, especially with uh, where we have that connect in Mexico. So um, I want us to continue with this uh, with this series that I'm, I'm just calling it exiling in place uh, because what's taken place here, uh, Peter was writing a letter to a group of people who um, were scattered, uh, but they were they had been scattered from kind of what their their hub for religious life was. Jerusalem was kind of the end all be all, and uh, due to a lot that was going on, it, it it ended up being great because it pushed the gospel out, and the persecution led to others uh, coming to know Christ, putting their faith in Christ. But they found themselves uh, feeling like misfits where they were. Uh, they were in. Um, they were viewed by society in general as kind of less thans in in many in many ways. Um, and the people that Peter was writing to were people that in that day did not have a lot of uh, did not carry a lot of weight in in society. They were looked down on. Um, it's it's believed that he was probably writing to those who were slaves and were longing for freedom. Uh, he was writing to uh, women who had very few rights in that day. In fact, he was probably writing specifically to women uh, who were Christ followers, but were married to men who were not following Christ. And so in the midst of this crunch that these people and others found themselves in, he, um, he writes to encourage them. And we, we talked last week about Peter's encouragement, uh, a key to exiling in place is noticing the ways an invisible God makes himself known to you right where you are in the life that you're currently living. Um, I, I hope that in this past week, uh, your antenna was up and you were able to find God in the midst of this season that we are in. Uh, we're not hoping for this season to end so that we can eventually get back to finding God. He is in it with us. And that's one of the things that's a, that's such a blessing that we have as, as one that um, God promises to, to enter into the challenges and the suffering with us. So we're going to continue uh, looking at this first chapter of, of Peter's letter. And uh, in case you're wondering where we're getting these passages from, uh, these are selected from a lectionary, some, a Bible reading plan that walks us through key passages of Scripture. Uh, there are other Christians around the world that follow this same reading plan, and we have it under our resource page on our website as well. Um, but First uh, Peter is one of four uh, readings for this week. And so I'm going to begin in verse 17, and I'll put some of these verses up um, as we go along, and I'll put them in the chat feature, beginning with this one. And he is, um, again, kind of picking up. Peter is beginning and picking up where, where he was with 
uh, talking to those who felt like they did not fit. Since you're, uh, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And so he's he's kind of saying, hey, this is a reminder that this is not your permanent home. Uh, we shelter here. We are exiles in this place, this earth. Um, and he tells us, he goes on to say that we have a different currency in this kingdom that delivers us from what would be an empty life. Verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now these next, um, these, uh, next two verses, which will be the last two that we'll look at this morning, are really what I want us to focus on in this time of exile. Um, what Peter is saying is uh, there is a God who loves you so much that he sent his son um, who died sacrificially on your behalf so that you may have life. This God can be trusted. And uh, so in this time of exile, he's encouraging us to trust God. And as we're about to see, he's encouraging us to walk with love. Um, let me put verse 22 in the chat feature here. So you can follow along. Uh, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from your heart. He's just saying of all the things that you could be doing while you're exiling in place, one of the things that I really want you to lean into is love. We have to continue to um, as we're going to see here in just a little bit, we are receiving God's love, and we can trust that. And then we have to be showing that and, and living in that. Verse 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. I thought this was interesting. I enjoy doing little word studies. And the word that's translated as sincere in the New International Version, it says, so that you have uh, sincere love for each other. This Bible dictionary I was using, it translated that word sincere, defined it as undisguised. And I think that stood out to me just because of, uh, I, I pictured in my mind, no longer wearing a mask. It's an unmasked love. Um, and it, so obviously there's just some parallels with, with what we're going through right now with wearing masks. But he is saying, um, that this love is not one in which we have to hide anything. Um, uh, just, I have a kind of a lighthearted hearted break that I want to bring us to. Um, how many of you are familiar with the satire news of the Babylon Bee? Anybody familiar with that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. Uh, just keep in mind that it definitely is satire. Um, and so I wanted to, uh, the, there was a spoof article 
they normally their articles are are typically uh, religiously or politically themed, and I thought this one was really funny in light of sincere and unmasked. Uh, the the, <laughs> the article was titled "Baptists Now Delighted They Can Wear Masks to the Liquor Store." Then the article goes on to say, Baptist believers have reported that they are utterly delighted to learn they can now wear full face masks at the liquor store, preventing anyone from recognizing them. Now, I, I have a right <clears throat> to kind of poke fun because I, I grew up Baptist, so bear with me. As soon as people started wearing masks in public, Baptists jumped at the opportunity to cover their entire faces while purchasing beer, wine, and hard liquor. Pastors and lay believers alike rushed their local alcohol shops, stocking up on cases of beer and wine. Liquor stores all across the nation have reported a massive increase in sales from masked Baptists, keeping local economies afloat during this tough time. We get to cover our faces at the liquor store? I'm all over it, said one Baptist pastor in Cincinnati as he fashioned a full coverage face mask out of some old choir robes. But uh, just to be clear, I'm just going in there to check and see if any of my church members are buying alcohol. It's, uh, it's my pastoral duty. And maybe I'll pick up some Welches for communion while I'm over there, he added, as he slipped on his mask, concealing his identity entirely, and headed out to do his ministry. Okay, back to, back to Paul. That was free. You can, you can look that one up. Um, and if that's a, a world that you uh, can recall or that you're familiar with, then uh, hopefully you found that as funny as I did. If not, uh, feel free to email Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at baymarin.org. All right, so uh, back to Peter's letter, no, no satire. Um, this sincere love is one in which there is nothing to hide. There's not a hidden selfish motive. It's not a love that's rooted in an insecurity and a need to be needed. Peter is saying, uh, just with this sincere and unmasked, this pure and simple love, that's, while you're exiling in place, this is what I want you to share with each other. But this unmasked love can be scary. Um, even when in my mind, I know that God's love can be trusted, I still find myself pulling back, reluctant to give myself entirely to God's love. Um, I've studied it. I'm familiar with it. There's a lot I know up here, but just being honest, there are just some ways that I, I find it a challenge, difficult to open myself up completely to receiving God's love. And um, so I want to talk about God's love for us and an exiling place before I talk about um, the love that we offer others, because really it's we are loving because he first loved us. Um, I was asked to speak at a retreat in the North Carolina mountains. We're, we're talking 15, 18 years ago. Um, and I I booked a plane ticket so I would arrive a full day early so that I could experience the beauty and spend some time with God out in nature. At the time, I lived in St. Louis, so this was definitely a part of the country that was uh, that I had not uh, had access to very often. We're here. We have so much beauty right here around us. We're so spoiled. But um, 
But I was really looking forward to this time in North Carolina. And I remember from the airport to this retreat center, the final 50 or so miles of the drive was just gorgeous. It was a single lane road that wound through national forests that cut between mountains and alongside whitewater rapids. And as soon as I get there, um, I get checked into my cabin, I pull out my journal, and here's the scene that I want you to see. It's me, Gary, an eager and well-meaning Christian wanting to draw closer to the Creator through His creation. But guess where I was? I was inside an air-conditioned room, seated on a comfortable cushioned chair looking through a closed sliding glass window. And I kind of laughed at the fact that I had gone all that way um, and I was so excited about being out in nature and I even started journaling and praising God for his beautiful displays of love, but it was a beauty that I chose to observe from the safety of my cabin. And the irony of my situation moved me, literally. I got up and went outside. A large rock took the place of the cushioned chair, and there I sat in it, not just looking at it. And I resumed journaling, and this is some of what I journaled. Although there is a sense of wonder in visually soaking up the spectacular, there is potential danger in touching it. Poison ivy, stinging insects, biting ants, all this and more lurks amidst the itchy grass. I'll walk near it. I'll gladly sit back and observe it. But I won't risk rolling through it, bareback touching. I want nothing uncomfortable. The love of the Father is fresh and growing. It is beautiful, but it's a love that carries potential danger. It stings my self-sufficiency. It causes my faith to itch in places that I cannot comfortably reach to scratch. I'll walk as near to his love as possible, but often I don't want it to touch my bare skin. I prefer loving God safely from afar. Touching God involves nearness, and nearness requires risk. Dare I live with a willingness to take risks? Hypocrisy claws too deeply. It stirs me to action. It dares me to change, to make some necessary adjustments. I must step out of comfort zones, get up from cushioned chairs, venture outside of rooms with picture windows, and roll in his grassy love. I'm embarrassed that I prefer nature from the air-conditioned side of a sliding glass door, and I'm even more embarrassed that I love God in much the same way. In climate-controlled, self-controlled, Gary-controlled sanctuaries during the explainable and reasonable seasons of life. So, Father, this is my prayer. Nudge me, send me rolling, tumbling down a hill of waist-deep, beautiful, itchy, fresh, stinging, creation-infested love, life near you. More than I realize, I need that touching contact with you. So how are you with just the encountering God's love in this time? Because our little self-controlled sanctuaries, the explainable and reasonable seasons have been kind of chucked to the side. Will we risk opening up ourselves and just in receiving the love that God has for us in this time? Love has an intrinsic vulnerability. 
I'm going to go back and read 1 Peter 1.22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Can you kind of feel how vulnerable that is? Courageous and vulnerable displays of love. This will be our way forward as a church. Our progress will be charted by courageous displays of love. And that love has an intrinsic vulnerability. It always involves some level of vulnerability, of removing the mask, of whatever it is that separates us from what could be itchy, uncomfortable. Now, you've likely associated vulnerability with weakness, but vulnerability is a sign of true strength. And at the same time, it's a love strengthening exercise. Maybe you can recall um, a time when you mouthed the words, I love you, to someone for the very first time. And as you were saying those words, I love you, there's that element of of, of, of concern, will I hear it back? Will I hear those same words stated back to me? Now, what if you're the first to say, I love you, but you're also the only one in that moment to say, I love you. And these are some of the realities that, that, that can cause us to be paralyzed in the midst of offering this love. So I want us to think about love being our way forward, not just while we exile in place, but as we come out of this, how are we going to love the people around us? How are we going to love the people that God has called us to love that, that don't know Bay Marin, um, but more importantly, that they have yet to really know God and his love. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. So I want us to play a game here, and we're going to use the chat feature. So if you want to scoot up closer to your computer for this part, um, uh, we're going to—it's it's not really a game; it's actually a race. Uh, we're going to see who can type "love" the fastest into the chat feature on Zoom. Now, don't go yet, um, but the winner is whoever types "love." I'm going to do a countdown uh, from three. You ready? Three, two, one go. Nice. I think some of you cheated. I think some of you were saying it way too fast. You don't have download speeds that are that good. I know you don't. Um, oh, kudos. Cody typed love with a heart. Way to go, man. Way to go. <laughs> um, now, okay, so so you've, you've kind of competed with each other to say who could say love. Now I want you to just this is going to be just between you and God, just between you and God. Um, I want to see if you can express love to God faster than he can express his love to you. Now, this isn't going to be something that you'll type into the chat feature. Uh, think of this as um, when I do this countdown, you can just breathe a quiet prayer. I love you to God. You ready? Three, two, one, go. 
See, the point of this kind of quirky exercise is um, every time you say, I love you to God, the reality is that he has already said it first to you. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Now, some of you are putting your church hat on and you're thinking, well, yeah, God's already said, I love you through the cross. That was his greatest expression of love when Jesus offered himself in love on the cross. But God's expression of love towards us was not a one and done statement. Okay, I, I said it before you, I've said it, and that's it. Um, listen to this quote from Kierkegaard on how God continually expresses his love for us over and over an uncountable number of times. And I'm going to put this, I'm going to copy and paste this quote into the chat feature so you can read along, along with me. He writes, you have loved us first, O God, alas, we speak of it in terms of history, as if you have only loved us first, but a single time, rather than that without ceasing, you have loved us first many times and every day and our whole life through. When we wake up in the morning and turn our soul toward you, you are the first. You have loved us first. If I rise at dawn and at the same second, turn my soul toward you in prayer, you are there ahead of me. You have loved me first. When I withdraw from the distractions of the day and turn my soul toward you, you are the first and thus forever. And yet we always speak ungratefully as if you have loved us first only once. Wow. Just let that sink in. No matter how quickly you say, I love you to God, he is already saying it to you. I love you. You, you can never say or express love to God before he has said it and expressed his love for you. When God's love for us is always first and ever-present, why wouldn't we actively address injustice with courageous love? Because of God's love for us, why wouldn't we pray against evil in the world? In the face of all that is less than love in this world, why wouldn't we share the good news of Jesus who is love and whose kingdom is love? Again, our way forward is to choose this path of love. We've thought about this. We've paused at times to reflect on this, and I want to encourage you to do that again this week. Who is God inviting you to love? Who is God inviting you um, with the mask off vulnerably to put yourself out there? to display love? Who is it that God loves that he is specifically asking you to love? Our way forward as a church is not how many people can we shelter in a room when we're allowed to gather together for 
for worship again under the same roof. Our way forward is going to be how many people can we scatter out from that room to share God's love who need God's love. I encourage you to, to open yourself up to that love. Communion is a chance for us to pause and remember that it's about love. It's a love relationship. And these simple elements, and if you want to make your way uh, to get those elements, if you don't have them handy, communion is a time for us to remember his love. Super Bowl Sunday, I want to share this story with you as a way for us to, to, to kind of frame the way we think about our communion. Um, it became a tradition for Beth and me when we lived in St. Louis to go to the grocery store in Carrollton every Super Bowl Sunday afternoon. Why? Well, there's obviously there's a story behind it. In October of 1999, I attended a barn dance that was sponsored by, there was this large uh, Bible study group, Bible study fellowship in St. Louis that uh, it was a ministry to about 200 or so single young adults. And I would love to say I was drawn to the Bible study, but I was really drawn to the thought of 200 single young adults. <laughs> what maybe uh, could be there. But anyway, so we have this, uh, not as a part of the Bible study, but just as a fellowship, a get together. On, on that night in October, October 22nd, from across a barn that the air was full of sawdust, I locked eyes with a blonde American beauty. And I approached her with the worst opening line, but it was truthful. I said, you look really familiar. Have we met before? And she agreed that there was a familiarity. I said, I'm Gary. She introduced herself as Beth. And for the next hour or so, we talked. And some of it was small talk, commenting on the fact that neither of us were square dancing. Uh, but much of the conversation centered around trying to figure out, have we met before? And we, we realized in that conversation, we had numerous mutual friends. We'd even attended the same church, but at different times. And then it was like a light came on in Beth's head. And she posed a really strange question on that October evening. She said, were you at the grocery store in Carrollton on Super Bowl Sunday? And she expected me to remember, like, really? You, I'm going to remember where I was nine months ago? What had I done? So I began to kind of think, what did I, what did I do for the Super Bowl earlier that year? And it was kind of slowly coming to me, wait, oh, yeah, as a, as a youth pastor, I coordinated a Super Bowl party for the teenagers, and we ran low on snacks. So I went to the nearby grocery store in Carrollton. And while in that checkout line, the adult volunteer who went with me engaged in a conversation with the lady and her daughter in front of us. And the daughter was this blonde American beauty. And we didn't know it in that brief encounter, but we would meet again in nine months and fall in love and marry and start a family. And like I said, for the first few years of our marriage, every Super Bowl Sunday, we went to that grocery store in Carrollton. I'd buy some heart-shaped sugar cookies, which was easy to find since it was approaching Valentine's Day. And we paid for them by going in the same checkout lane where we first met. And then we'd head out to the car and we would eat some cookies and talk about how our love began. Bread and wine. 
they're powerful symbols and Jesus invites us to partake. And when we do to remember, to remember our relationship that began with his love. And so before we partake, would you just kind of do your own walk through the checkout line with Jesus? When did that relationship between the two of you begin? Can you remember when you first maybe were left in awe of Jesus? And maybe at that time you didn't even know if you were ready to commit to him, but there was just something in you tugging and pulling you towards him. And as your relationship with him progressed, you found yourself in a place where you could say, I love you to him. And knowing that he was the first to say, I love you to you. So when we take of this bread and this cup, we are remembering that relationship. And Jesus, with his closest friends, and what was a really vulnerable display of love, he took bread and he broke it. And he described something that was way beyond what those 12 in his presence could really understand. And he said, this is my body offered for you. When you eat this bread, remember me. And again, in the midst of that very vulnerable offering of himself and love, again, he's saying, I love you to 12 people that only 11 really eventually responded with an I love you in, res in response. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my body my blood shed for you as often as you drink this do so in remembrance of me father thank you for modeling a vulnerable love thank you for going first and saying i love you and thank you for being a God who's warmed by our words back to you, that we love you. Lord, in these difficult, um, unpredictable times, I thank you that you are, when we wake up in the morning, before we could even say it to you, you are saying to us, I love you. Thank you for that love. It's in your name I pray. Amen.